The following podcast contains explicit language. Hey there, and welcome to Slate's Trump Care Tracker, the show where we talk about the Republican struggle to pass some sort of health care bill, something approximating a health care bill, or maybe a tax cut bill, really whatever you want to call it. I'm Slate's economics correspondent, Jordan Weissman. And I'm Jim Newell. I cover Capitol Hill for Slate. So, yeah, we're going to talk about a a few things this episode. We're going to discuss Donald Trump's tweets, of course, because as members of the media, we are required to discuss everything that Donald Trump tweets. But in this instance, there's some implications for health care reform. But first, before that, we're going to talk about Ted Cruz's efforts to do something constructive in Congress, to actually maybe broker some kind of a deal that will break the Republican logjam and help them pass a bill for better or worse. Jim, you've been literally following the press scrums around Ted Cruz, trying to ask him questions about this. What's going on here? Well, Cruz has been trying to be more productive throughout this process. I think there's a few reasons for that. Uh, you know, his, his presidential ambitions are over for the time being although not to be extinguished forever. So he's trying to sort of rebuild relationships with his fellow senators. And he's also up for re-election. And I don't think wants a primary challenger from the establishment. So he's been trying to be productive. Okay. So he's introduced this amendment called the Consumer Choice Amendment, where you can sell plans that don't comply with Obamacare regulations, so long as you also sell one plan in the state that does comply with those regulations. So it sounds very nice, but there are some policy implications to that. If you want to explain that, Jordan. Yeah. So this is sort of meant to bridge the gap between Republicans who want to do away with all of Obamacare's regulations, including the extremely popular ones like the ban on discriminating against customers with pre-existing conditions, and the Republicans, the, the moderates like Susan Collins, who aren't so hot on doing away with all of that because they don't want to be blamed if sick people can't get insurance. And so what Ted Cruz has done, he's said, OK, if you're insurer, you can go and you can sell whatever you want like any whatever horrible or you know, threadbare insurance policy company you think of, as long as you have one thing that complies with all of Obamacare's regulations on the exchanges. And the problem with this, it, it take, doesn't take long to figure out that if you do that, all the young, healthy people are going to go buy the really, really cheap insurance. And all the sick people are going to go buy the Obamacare compliant insurance. And so you're going to split the market in two. And what's probably going to result from that is you're going to get the Obamacare compliant insurance is going to become really, really, really expensive. Even Ted Cruz has said there will probably be some, quote, market segmentation, which is his way of saying, yes, this will probably happen. For some people, this actually wouldn't be such a problem because if you get subsidies under the Republican plan, it caps your insurance premiums as a percentage of your income. If you're poor enough and young enough, you have to pay 2% of your income towards your premiums, uh, no matter how high they might be. So even if you have to go and buy this really expensive Obamacare compliant plan, the government's going to help you out and it shouldn't bankrupt you. The people who end up in trouble are the ones who don't get subsidies. And under the Republican plan, people who make more than 350% of the poverty line, and that comes out to about $42,000 for a single person, which is still solidly middle class, don't get subsidies. So they're sort of off on their own. If they get sick, they're looking at a market where they will likely be priced out. So it's one of those things where you're sort of preserving you know, these consumer protections, 
but you're not necessarily preserving them. You can go deeper into this. Cruz has suggested that maybe the state stabilization funds that Republicans have set aside will prevent skyrocketing prices on the for the Obamacare uh, compliant insurance plans. But it, it's not clear. This is this is certainly a risk. Um, yeah, I'm not I'm not sure how well you know any stabilizations can do because what you're doing is basically creating a death spiral almost. So mm-hmm. there's really very little cost containment. But yeah, if you are not eligible for a subsidy and you have cancer, then you're really in a big problem here. So it's something where if it were to work, you can't have the cutoff at 350% of the federal poverty line. You would have to increase it like way, way up to prevent anyone above that line getting sick and going bankrupt. I really do think it is more of a a stalking horse to undermine the Affordable Care Act. And I think the moderate senators see it that way too, and they don't want to go along with it. They had a lunch earlier this week, and Ted Cruz presented his idea, and a lot of moderate senators and even some rank-and-file senators were very annoyed because they thought that they had agreed going into this that they would not touch pre-existing conditions protections. And this does that, not in you know quite as direct a way as the MacArthur Amendment did in the House, where you can just waive those cost protections. Here, it's something where you introduce something that doesn't comply with the rest of the rules, and then that's, that could really undermine the market. I mean, they are taking this seriously because I think this is the key to unlocking uh, Cruz's vote, Ted Cruz's vote, Mike Lee's vote, maybe Ron Johnson's vote. I don't know. I think Ron Johnson will go along with it. But also, if it were to pass the Senate, this is something that the Freedom Caucus, which is the conservative flank in the House, if they're going to be jammed with this bill, if it passes the Senate, they want something like this in it. Interesting. So I think that's why they're taking it seriously. In a way, what you're saying gives me a little bit of hope for this process because Once again, the Senate moderates are actually showing some awareness of policy and how it works, actually thinking through this, whereas in the House, the moderates were just like, "Okay, we'll take whatever fig leaf you give us. They were willing to take whatever paltry sum Paul Ryan and the Freedom Caucus would throw at them and say, yeah, this will fix pre-existing conditions, (laughs) this $8 billion nothing that we gave you. So in a way, this is a positive that Ted Cruz has introduced this sort of (laughs) weird Trojan horse into (laughs) the debate, and the moderates are like, what is this? I could see moderates maybe going along with something like this, but they would extract a pretty high price. The other big policy news is there's a lot of talk now about keeping one of the Obamacare taxes, the net investment tax, which only affects people with incomes of $200,000 for individuals or $250,000 for couples. Yeah. Keeping that and then improving the subsidies and maybe softening the long-term Medicaid cuts. Maybe they'll come up with something different, but this is what, if they're going to do it, the compromise will look like. They'll give conservatives something on market deregulation, and then moderates will want the rest of the bill adjusted and not be quite so brutal. Yeah. This seems like another example where moderate Republicans are sort of surprisingly living up to their name because a few of them are just looking at the tax cuts in this bill and saying, well, okay, I can see why we want to get rid of the taxes that directly affect health care. You could argue that taxi insurers drives up premiums for some people, though you could argue exactly whose premiums go up as a result of that. But, you know, Cutting capital gains taxes has precisely jack to do with making healthcare affordable. So what are we doing here? Why are we what what is our justification? And they're actually pushing pretty hard not to do this. So they have more money to spend on, you know, Medicaid or potentially more premium subsidies that wouldn't fundamentally change the nature of the bill. The fact that it is still a trade off between paying for poor people's health care and paying for tax cuts, but it would make it a less reprehensible version of that trade off, I guess. Right. It takes away the tax cut that is 
sort of the ugliest one there. And I think really it, it would blunt that political argument a little bit. Yeah. There are other tax cuts in there that I think are also pretty ugly in that they just are obviously only affecting high income people and don't have much to do with making healthcare more affordable. For instance, there's a, a increased Medicare tax on high uh, high earners. Um, you know, it's like 0.9% or something. It's tacked on to their uh, payroll taxes. And, you know, that one, again, there's not much of an argument that says that's somehow getting rid of that tax is going to make healthcare more affordable. But who knows, maybe that's next on the target list. So I just want to circle back to Cruz, though. How closely do we have to watch this? Do you think that this really could be the key to making this whole thing work? Or is this just sort of a quiet subplot that's going to die? I think that we do have to watch it because it seems like McConnell is now engaged with this and realizes that he has to find a way to get this or something similar through in order to get the bill passed. Another concern with this idea of cruises is that it may not get through the Senate parliamentarian because it's not strictly budget related. The perpetual so, fear. Yeah. <laughs> the perpetual fear. There was a story that they were meeting with the Senate parliamentarian, Cruz and McConnell, to try and figure this out and make their case. So, I mean, that's another another procedural concern. But I, I think that if a bill passes, leaders recognize that they're going to have to do something that goes after the regulations a little bit more and, and will create some headlines about undermining pre-existing condition protections, which is exactly what happened in the House. You know, they realized that they had to do something on this in order to get it through. So on that note, I want to turn now to uh, Donald Trump, who oddly doesn't really factor much into this show. Usually we don't talk a lot about Trump. <laughs> Jim, have we really had one lengthy discussion about the president himself on this you show? Know, very little. And I have to say, we've done a very good job um, not talking about Trump's tweets or anything like that. But here we are. And because he said something relevant, which he doesn't do very often. Yeah. And I think it actually it could have consequences. Trump fired up the Twitters today, this morning, and he he tapped out the following message. If Republican senators are unable to pass what they are working on now, they should immediately repeal and then replace at a later date, exclamation mark. As usual, there's a direct line between this tweet and something that someone said on TV a few minutes earlier. I oh, believe that who was Nebraska it? Senator Ben Sass said that this is what he would do. I mean, this is the return of repeal and delay, right? This was the original congressional plan to deal with Obamacare. This is the OG of of, of, we're talking about here, where they were just going to repeal the whole thing and then figure out what to do later. And they were going to put Obamacare on an egg timer and then let it expire. And in the meantime, figure while the, the seconds were ticking off, they would come up with some sort of replacement bill. Yeah, and I'm very happy that Trump said this today because it made my article selection uh, very easy because this is ridiculous. I mean, this is something that Trump himself and other Republican senators who are now apparently agreeing with him, you know, refused to do at the time. The argument that Rand Paul was making at the time was that if we repeal Obamacare and then don't have a replacement ready, then we will own health care and everything that's wrong with health care. And who knows if we'll get something done. Rand Paul made this argument. Trump agreed with him. A lot of senators agreed with this. And so they decided that they should do these two things simultaneously. But now that that's not going so well either, now they're going back and being like, well, all along, we probably just should have repealed it and figured it out later. It's sort of pathetic to watch, honestly. Well, but here's the thing. So Rand Paul is now also saying, great idea, Donald. Right. Yeah. No, he's completely flip flopped on this. Maybe that makes 
Rand Paul even like more intransigent insofar as he was ever gettable. I feel like now he sees this sort of tantalizing prospect that the president agrees with him on this cockamamie strategy, and he's just going to be even more set against actually voting for this bill. You know, I don't know if Rand Paul was ever going to change, so I don't know. if uh, <laughs> Maybe this has no consequences. It may not. So in 2015, when Republicans took control of the Senate, they did a so-called test run for Obamacare repeal. Yeah. And so they put as much as they could in this reconciliation bill and passed it. And it was just a show vote. So it wasn't that hard to get people to vote for it because it was never going to become law. So then at the beginning of this Congress, Democrats requested that that bill be rescored. And CBO found that under that plan, if that became law, 32 million people would lose their insurance. Premiums would skyrocket for people. It was very ugly. And that was another big part of why they didn't want to pass that as standalone legislation and why they wanted to have a replacement ready. And now, you know, that's becoming so difficult to do, which I think we all saw coming. But, you know, they did this because they saw this as the less bad option in terms of getting a better CBO score. Do you think... That if this effort really does just collapse, if it looks like repeal and replace is not happening, that just repeal and delay really could make a comeback. Oh, no. It's not even a question. He would never get no, that No, I don't, I don't think that would get more than 20 or 30 votes in the Senate. They're not just going to pass repeal, own health care, and after seeing how many struggles they've had, hope that something better comes when they're put on the timer. I think if this effort falls apart, then they're going to negotiate with the Democrats about making some tweaks and probably just, you know, a lot of stabilization money. So, I mean, there's no chance that if this falls apart, that then they'll take a more aggressive approach after that. Yeah. If you're a Senate moderate, why on earth would you put yourself at that negotiating disadvantage? Even when it was a show vote, you know, there's one senator who voted against it, Susan Collins. It was never going to become law and she still didn't vote for it. So, I mean, she would be gone from the beginning. And then I think Shelley Moore Capito. I mean, she was also extremely nervous about voting for that show vote, too. And I I remember being reported at the time, Mitch McConnell would be like, don't worry, it's just a show vote. It doesn't matter. We'll figure it out later and we actually have to do it for real. I mean, you would just not get many votes for that, especially after you've wasted six months on this. And so this just comes back to the problem that Donald Trump, when it comes to health care, when it comes to most things, but health care in particular, is just sort of like the drunk uncle of this whole process, like just sitting at the table, interjecting into the conversation incoherently. He has zero idea. I mean, zero idea what's going on. They had that White House meeting a few days ago where senators were expressing their concern. And I guess some members start talking about how repealing this tax on the wealthy was not a good look for them. And he, like, apparently didn't even know that that was in the bill. He was like, oh, taxes? Well, we, we're doing tax reform later. He'll spout off something that the last person who talked to him or the last face they saw on TV said, and he'll just say that. And it drives people on the hill crazy because for a pretty obvious reasons, you know? Yeah. Okay, so I think we've talked enough about Donald Trump not knowing anything. Newsflash, Donald Trump's still ignorant. So I think it's time to turn to our final segment on this show, which we, of course, like to call, Is This Shit Really Happening? Where Jim and I each place a little wager on whether or not we think the Republican health care bill will eventually be signed into law for all of the disorder and the uncertainty surrounding this process right now. I am still a slight yes on this. Jim, where are you on it? I was in no last time. I'll, I'll go back to slight yes today, too, okay. just because I can see the outlines of, of what could happen. Yeah, there's a path. Yeah, it's a weird path led by Ted Cruz, which is not something I would have ever predicted, you know, six months ago. But that's where we are in politics. 
I am willing to bet somebody lunch at the Trump grill. I don't know if any of us will be happy about the outcome of that, but I will pay for it. That is, I am willing you to should, show. You should try the money. taco bowl. <laughs> okay, Jim, what are you willing to bet? So I am so, so, so narrowly willing to bet in favor of this passing that I'm thinking of something that has such little value to me, and I, I think I know. So I have on my desk two copies sent to me by the publisher, advanced copies of Ben Sass's book, The Vanishing American oh. Adult, oh, Our Coming-of-Age Crisis and How to Rebuild. And so I will wager both of those books. I love that Ben Sass's path to the presidency one day, as far as he's concerned, consists of shitting on millennials. <laughs> shitting on millennials and writing a, a book that you heavily publicize that's about how it's good for kids to do chores. So that's it, I think, for this week's show. Next week, we're going to have a light schedule because it's 4th of July. Congress is off, more or less, not doing a whole lot. We want to go barbecue, or in my case, I might need to go prep my apartment to be bombed for bed bugs. So we're only going to be recording on Wednesday. In the meantime, please, if you've got questions or comments, thoughts, anything you'd like to share, email us at trumpcaretracker at slate.com. Again, trumpcaretracker at slate.com. And if you like the show, please, please, please leave a review in the iTunes store. We love it when you say nice things about us. Jim, it's been fun chatting. Yeah, good talking to you. Happy 4th of July. <laughs>